at God's interactions with mankind from the very beginning of time uh, through several biblical characters in the um, old. Now, Dave, you said you were going to come and take these away for me. There you go. Do your job. Okay. I didn't mean that to be, yeah, come on. (laughs) So focus here, though, right? So we've been taking a look at God's interactions with mankind from the very beginning of time. So we looked at several biblical characters throughout the Old Testament and really kind of been asking some some big questions, Um, some questions like, um, you know, what do we do when God shows up in a way or in a form that we don't expect or even want, (laughs) when he seems like a stranger or doesn't seem to show up at all? How do we navigate a relationship with an unpredictable heavenly father? Especially when we know scripture says that his ways are not our ways, his thoughts are not our thoughts. So needless to say, it's been challenging. Um, And the arrival of God in the flesh, a baby named Jesus was no less strange and unpredictable. So what does it mean for us today? Before we dive into tonight's kind of topic, though, I just want to ask a question that might seem like a simple question on the surface, but the question is this, is why do we need to celebrate Christmas every year? I mean, haven't most of us heard the story before? Probably most of us have heard it, you know, for decades. We kind of know the ins and outs of the story behind it. And I ask these questions kind of tongue-in-cheek Because as Americans, we're more than willing to celebrate certain holidays every year, 4th of July, Valentine's Day, Mother's Day, Father's Day, each year because we need those yearly holidays to remind us of some things. For one, maybe um, how blessed we are to live in a country um, that's free and that that freedom that we received came at the expense of, of other people and their families to remind us to appreciate the important people in our life, to kind of set aside a day. Uh, especially to celebrate them. So these holidays uh, can be kind of a time of reorientation for us to help us kind of remember um, the things that are important in our life. And it's no different with Christmas. First of all, we serve a God who remembers his promises to us. He is faithful to remember. First Chronicles sixteen fifteen says this, that he remembers his covenant forever. The promise he made for a thousand generations. He remembers all of his promises to love us and to protect us and to redeem us and to heal us, and the list goes on. And throughout scripture, we are asked to do the same, to remember. And so when you look at the Old Testament, in particular, you see the Jewish nation um, having these yearly festivals, yearly celebrations on their kind of spiritual religious calendar. Many times it required a pilgrimage from wherever they lived to Jerusalem um, could be quite costly and, 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 and time-intensive to go and to remember and to celebrate these times when God had intervened into the story of the people of Israel, and they went there to remember. And that word remember appears in the Bible over 230 times, 230 times. And here are just a few verses that I came across that kind of focus on that theme In Deuteronomy, in the Old Testament, it says, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. That is why I give you this command today. In 1 Chronicles, remember the wonders he has done, his miracles and the judgments he pronounced. In Isaiah, remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. 
I am God and there is none like me. And then in the New Testament, 2 Timothy, remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David, this is my gospel. And so tonight we gather to remember, and I have a way that I'd like us to kind of remember the, the birth narrative of Christ tonight. Um, we're going to use a, a tool that a guy named Aristotle came up with, um, a Greek philosopher, um, is credited with the original list of what we call the five W's, who, what, when, where, why, and how. And later on, somebody added uh, the how actually to that. So now there are six kind of questions that we use to take a look at the historical significance of different events. And so we're going to use those questions tonight as we look at the story of Christ's birth. So we're going to start off with the who. Okay. Who is involved in this story? When I look at the birth narrative of Christ, one thing that just strikes me right away is just the ordinariness of it all. The ordinariness. God chose people of no social standing, no power, no position at all. Mary, Joseph, the shepherds, they were insignificant people in the grand scheme of the world at that time. But they all shared two very key traits. They were faithful and they were obedient. And when God showed up on the scene through various ways, the angels, and, and giving them very strange requests of things that they were going to be asked to do, they didn't cave in to reason, but trusted God's plan. And we have a lot in common with those poor nobodies. Those of us who call ourselves Christians, the Apostle Paul puts it really beautifully in, in 1 Corinthians when he, he talks about all of us. Starting in verse 26, he says this, he says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. So Christmas is a yearly reminder that God is in the habit of choosing the least expected when they least expect it. Are we ready? Do we believe in a God who can and will and wants to use each one of us? So that's the who. So now we come to what? What happened? The disciple John wrote this in chapter 1 of his gospel. He said, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God came near. And it's really difficult for me to um, communicate to you enough how just absolutely revolutionary this was to the Jews. Okay, if you look in the Old Testament, the Jews' relationship with God, God himself said that you cannot look at me or you will die. Jews said they had never touched God. They weren't even allowed to speak his name out loud. But what was this strange new good news that the angels were talking about? That the unseen God was now going to become tangible and human and flesh. Years later, when writing about his encounters with Jesus, the disciple John wrote this in 1 John 1.1. 1, 1. 
He said, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. So the incarnation of Christ was a game changer. Everything was different in terms of how humanity and God reacted to one another and related. So my question for you is, is God distant or is he near to you this Christmas? Because the offer of intimacy and connection is there for all of us. So that's the what. When. (laughs) Well, Christ arrived on the scene at a very dark time in Israel's history, right? Probably the greatest empire the world has ever known, the Roman Empire, had, had overtaken their homeland. So they were occupied by a military power. Um, there was political occupation. They paid taxes to the empire. It didn't seem like a very strategic time for a king to come talking about setting up a new kingdom, right? The odds were stacked against Jesus, <laughs> The baby in the manger certainly wasn't the king that the Jews were looking for. So Jesus comes onto the scene, and and this is why it's so interesting that Jesus one day, when he stands before that Roman governor Pilate, when he's about to get executed, he looks him in the eye and he says this, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. You see, the establishing of the kingdom of heaven wasn't dependent on any political system or party. And so it is with us as we usher in the kingdom of heaven in the 21st century, right? When we pray the Lord's Prayer, we're supposed to be saying, thy kingdom come. We are conduits of God's kingdom bringing it here to this place. As we do that in 21st century America, we are to be faithful. We are to be set apart. We are to be counterintuitive and countercultural, whatever our earthly circumstances because you see, guys, to love and to serve and to forgive and to care for the poor, to welcome the stranger, those things that are close to God's heart, those things aren't limited by who our president is at the time or the popular thoughts or ethics of our time. Because God's kingdom is above all, which is what allowed the poor carpenter's son in the manger to become the most controversial man in Israel. Why? Why did God come to rescue and redeem us? Well, it's because we couldn't do it for ourselves. Humanity was powerless to fix its sinful situation. You see, trying to follow the rules in the Old Testament hadn't worked out well for humanity. We couldn't be good enough for a holy God. Paul reminds us of this beautiful truth of Christ's mission in Romans 5, 6. He says this, you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. See, God did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And somehow on the cross, the great mystery of the gospel unfolds. That Christ took our sin on his shoulders, granted us peace with God. His grace is enough for our sin. Where? Well, Jesus arrived on the scene outside of Jerusalem in a town called Bethlehem, just a few miles away in modern-day Israel. An ethnically-born Jew shows up, coming first to rescue God's chosen people of Israel. 
But then it is in this strange and very profound announcement, right, when the angels are speaking to the shepherds out in the fields that night, he says to them, this Savior is going to be for all people, for all people, whether they were Jewish or Gentiles, male or female, rich or poor, slave or free, Jesus is a Savior for all. And those that receive him will all gather again one day in a new Jerusalem. And finally, how? How did Jesus arrive on the scene? Well, first and foremost, he came miraculously, right? We have to keep in mind that his mother being impregnated by the Holy Spirit made Jesus both fully God and fully man, one of a kind. There's never been another guy like him. His divine origins caused quite a stir. It was a scandalous beginning for Mary and Joseph. The Christ child came humbly, needy, dependent. It was all counterintuitive, this king in a cradle, which should remind us that above all things this Christmas season, as the angel declared to Mary, nothing is impossible with God. What limits are we putting on what God can do in our life? God chose the seemingly insignificant. He came in a new and fleshly and intimate form at a dark time in Israel's history because we were out of options. He came to set the captives free, all of mankind, and he did it miraculously in a way that defies reason, that seems strange demands a trusting faith. And so we come to the end of this sermon series to the same place where we began back in September. Those of you that have been with us, we started in our first sermon in this God is Stranger series in Romans chapter 11. So I want to finish there tonight with Paul's words. Verse 33 says this. It says, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for just your story. God, as we look over the scope of the whole narrative of Scripture, uh, it's really just kind of overwhelming the way that you chose to, to kind of arrive and to interact with us throughout history. God, you come in ways that we don't expect when we're not looking for you at times when it seems like maybe we're not worthy to receive you, to be, to be used by you. God, you, you come to us sometimes in really challenging ways. And Lord, the, the arrival of the, the Messiah, the Savior in a, in a crib was tough to take. It wasn't what people were looking for. God, we all want, want a God that, that can come in and kind of swoop in and, and just change our circumstances for us, just to make life a little better, a little easier. But that's not what you do. You come to us in, in a different way. You come in a way in which we have to kind of seek you out. We have to be willing to be stretched, to be learn a new way of interacting with you. 
So God, I pray that you would just keep us humble as we come before you. God, that you would just help us to just to seek you with our whole heart, God, as you show yourself to us in new ways, God, that we wouldn't limit what you could do in our life. We thank you so much for your son. God, that you knew the, the perfect way to come to redeem and to save us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, as we close tonight, a little earlier, we were introduced to the Christ candle, and we talk about this idea that Christ is the light of the world. Jesus himself said that I am the light of the world. But he also told each one of us, his followers, that when he was going home to be with the Father, that we were the ones that were going to be the light of the world from here on out. And so at this Christmas Eve service, there's this kind of shift that has to take place in our minds. We come to receive the light. We come to worship the light. We leave carrying the light with us. We have a role and a responsibility to go out into the world to share this good news with those who haven't heard it, those that are desperate to know that there's hope, joy, love, peace that they could experience that they're not currently experiencing now apart from him. And I really pray that we take that responsibility seriously and we do it with earnestness and with prayer and with joy and boldness and courage. So we're gonna close our time tonight singing Silent Night I'm going to light some of the candles. If you could turn around and pass it back to the person behind you, we'll get this place all filled up with light here in a moment and uh, sing together. So you guys can go ahead and stand. <laughs>